I'm Enoch Fossum. And I'm Austin Ivey, and you're listening to the What About Therapy podcast. What about therapy? All right. Welcome back to episode 75. Yep. We were just doing the math. It's almost like actually 110 with the other episodes. Something like that. Yeah, around there. We were just reminiscing that I came on in episode 19. Yeah. That was... <laughs> I was just, what's the, what's the time frame? Like what was, what it was, was the date? So it wasn't like, last November, but it was the November before that. So it was November, 2021. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. We've been yeah. doing this for a year and three months almost. Yeah. Four about. Months? Wow. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Well, um, here's to a hundred more. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. <laughs> um, but today we're talking about, uh, loss and specifically loss of um, I guess not loss of, of a loved one. Loss can be a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, we're we're pulling, pulling from a book by a new book by Russ Harris that we both have started listening to on Audible. It's called The Reality Slap. And in this book, he's talking about loss in general, like grieving and loss. And it can be applied to anything like the loss of a job, the loss of like a like a house to like a fire or something like that. He He equates loss to what he calls a reality slap, where mm-hmm. you're slapped with reality. Um, he focuses a lot of the book on, on like the loss of a loved one because they passed away or, or died or I think he even talks about a little bit if they're like they're not presently with you like like when they're moving away that's also considered loss but yeah or like a divorce or yeah losing a job exactly yeah so like all type of anything that really just feels like a slap to the face you know yeah. in regards to like losing something or someone um, but he focuses a lot of his rhetoric and um, I guess instruction directly towards the like the death of a loved one. And I know I've been candid about it a little bit on previous episodes that my father recently passed away in uh, November from, from cancer. And so this is something that uh, I've thought a lot about just because how could you not as a, like a therapist, therapist, therapist <laughs> student, you know, going through like yeah. all my classes and like being like a spiritual person as well. There's a lot of thought behind like losing a loved one and um, like the loss of their, their spirit in your life and stuff like that. It's, um, it's, it's hard to to go through that and so having an episode like this is not only beneficial for me but um loss is a hard thing to navigate that's one that i've, I've realized over the past uh, few months that it's a uh, it sucks it sucks so bad to deal with the reality slap i love that he calls it that too because uh, yeah. it feels that way it really does and you really get slapped with a lot of different things when going through a, a series of significant loss and because uh, when you lose a loved one you don't just lose them you don't lose their body you lose so much more than just losing that person around you. There's a lot more that you lose and having an episode like this, um, hopefully can help some of you that may be going through loss at this time or have gone through loss, but at some point in your life, you will go through loss and it's just unfortunately a fact of life and it can be a huge opportunity for growth. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today because Russ Harris talks about that a little bit. So we're just going to hop right into it and read some good quotes, talk about the the DABDA, the five stages of grief, and <laughs> yeah. read some good quotes that we have from that from that book. Yeah, and stay tuned next week, too, because we're going to have a special episode with Austin talking oh, yeah. about his experience with, with his dad. Can get real little, vulnerable. little spoiler alert, <laughs> but it's going to be really good. So first thing, when you deal with loss, you need to realize that grief is not an emotion. Like, I'm not feeling grieved. I'm not griefed, griefed mm-hmm. right now. Grief is a process. And we've talked about the five stages somewhat. Yeah, we had an I've, episode. Did around... we have an episode yeah. completely on it? I think we did. Because this time last year, my 
my dog died. <laughs> so right. we just, we yeah. talked about it a little bit and, um, it was, that was more lighthearted just cause it was my family dog, but, um, we talked a little bit about it. We didn't go in, it was a pretty short episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But we have an episode on that. So go back and go back and find it. I'll it put March it in the show notes. Year. Um, if I can find it, if it was if March it's clearly... of last year because that's when she passed away. Yeah. So it was around that time, maybe March, April of last year. Okay. So almost well, a year ago. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, we'll add it. Um, uh, but what you need to know about that is just with the five stages of grief, like Austin was saying, navigating the reality slaps sucks. It's really hard. And you're going to be navigating the five stages of grief, navigating your loss through these five stages. And there's no, I know it's DABDA, so it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And it's not in that order either. A lot of the times they're in different orders. And so, <laughs> sorry guys, <laughs> I was trying to move the mic closer to my mouth. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was really bad. Yeah, that, uh, that sound spike. Dink. That's funny. Sorry for any headphone users. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be that bad. Um, yeah, Dabda. Uh, I guess it's, yeah, it, yeah. it was, well, Russ Harris does a really good job. And what I think everyone needs to realize are those stages are not linear. Yeah. They're not even circular. They're very, um, it's not like you start with Dal, you end with acceptance. Um, you bounce around and he talks about for that for the first chapter or so. And maybe this is the other book that I'm reading, but I'm pretty sure he talks about that, how it's, you bounce around a lot from, from denial to depression, from anger to denial, from maybe even acceptance a little bit back to denial. Like you're going to bounce around a little bit and it's, it's a, it is circular in a way where you're just going to bounce around a lot. It's a, it's like a star. Mm-hmm. You're just going to ping around to the different stages and you may not experience any of them. You could have like just a lot of denial, then a lot of depression, and then you um, kind of move along with it and that's it. Yeah. Or you're just all anger and that's all you ever experience. And these are just five, I guess, experiences or maybe even emotions that, or I don't even know what to call some of them, but just five recognizable things that are usually associated with that process of grief that Enoch was talking about. Yeah. So Russ Harris then talks about how first things first, when you experience loss, the first thing you've got to do is focus on things you can't control. And Austin, let me ask you, like when your dad passed away, it was that something easy or hard to do to focus on what you can't control rather than those that you can't? It's a really good question. Um, and we'll probably talk about this next yeah, week. Yeah, I guess it's like a tidbit of what next week is going to yeah. be like. But um, I think for me, like even just thinking like towards like that day that he died, um, it's really easy to, to think about all the things that were out of my control. Like, and I currently going to therapy and that's something I've talked a lot about with my therapist is I have a lot of blame on myself for some reason over mm-hmm. like the things that like happened to him and like that I could have been there for him more, but it's all stuff out of my control and it's really anxiety inducing. As soon as I start thinking about the counterfactual stuff, like mm-hmm. if this would have happened and if that would have happened, um, all these things that, if I was a superhero or a magician, I could have fixed it. And when you start doing that, when you start focusing on things outside of your control, it's uh, I, I love the term like downward spiral because yeah. it, it starts off kind of slow, but then as you really start getting into it, that spiral really speeds up and you get down into that rabbit hole pretty quickly. Like if you really start leaning into it. So it's, yeah. that's a really good first place to start is that you need to know that there is more outside of your control than there is in your control, I would say, at least with my own experience. There's very little that you can control in a situation like this. 
but you really have to focus on those things. Otherwise yeah. it just, it's so counterfactual. It's going to be so counterproductive to your, to your healing process. Right. And so focusing on things you can't control is easier said than done, especially when it's a big reality slap, like mm-hmm. someone you love passes away, like where you're just in shock, like what, what just happened. And so your brain starts to start, uh, go down this, this downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And so we need to realize number one, I guess I'm not going to list. I don't know why I said number one. First off, or <laughs> firstly, you're... First in the great. list. First step that you're always going to have to follow. Anyway, um, re- you need to recognize that fear, anxiety, um, fear and anxiety are going to be a part of loss regardless. It's just a part mm-hmm. of it. And when you focus on things outside of your control, like Austin just said, it makes anxiety, it makes the fear even worse. Like it amplifies it. And so when we start to focus on things in our control, which we'll talk about here in just a minute, different things we can't control, we'll still feel scared or we'll still, we'll still feel hurt and we'll still have anxiety, but it won't be as bad. And so we can, it's like if you, when you get a cut and you get stitches, it still hurts. Like it's still a wound, but it's stitched up and it's not bleeding everywhere and getting worse. Yeah. And I think that, um, and I, I'm kind of building off something that you said earlier, not rather than that one, but you said that like fear and anxiety are just a part of it mm-hmm. because, um, right after my dad died, I listened to the podcast um, about grief that Andrew Huberman has made really, really good podcast. Maybe we'll link that too, because um, he takes it from like a neuroscience standpoint, super yeah. interesting stuff. Um, but he talks about how when a person is grieving, when they're going through that process of losing someone they love, they like on like a neurochemical level, like you think about your brain and what it has to go through. Um, there's neural pathways that are connected to a person mm. that are, that are kind of tamped down and created so you can connect with that person physically. And he kind of brings like a spiritual aspect to it a little bit to where as a person grieving that process neurochemically looks like you being able to know like who like maintain that connection without being able to physically be with them. And so mm. in your brain, you're creating like new neural pathways of knowing that this person isn't around, but you still have a connection with them mm. and that, and like, you don't have to be spiritual to believe that and believe in like right. an afterlife to believe yeah. that. But he, what they found in their research and what he's found in like his like research of the research is that the people that have the best outcomes of overcoming grief are the people that are able to effectively um, reconceptualize where that person is in regards to like they're dead in the ground, but they're also, I still have an intimate connection with them. And what I found so far, like kind of building off of your point is that that creation of like a new neural pathway, new connection with that person is really scary. And like, it's really anxiety inducing because you have to like really find out what you believe and about not even like an afterlife, but you have to really reconceptualize how you're going to stay connected to that person despite them not being around physically anymore. Yeah. And that's a, that's a scary thing because you don't know how you're going to do that. Like, cause usually you build connections with people when you hang out with them and you have fun with them, you watch movies and, um, you eat dinner together. Um, that's a scary thing to like, how am I going to maintain this relationship without being able to talk to them? And that's where the fear for me has come in. And so I think maybe other people have felt that, but I think that's a really important thing to realize that's just kind of, that's a part of it. You just have to accept that if you run from it, it's going to get a lot worse. Right. And so just realize that's normal when you're feeling like, 
when you're feeling scared or really anxious about something that just happened, it's normal. That's totally normal. And you have the choice to either put gasoline on that fire <laughs> or to start putting little bits of water on it, right? You can't put a yeah. full bucket of water on it and put it out immediately. It's just not realistic. Yeah. But you can start putting it out here and there. Put mm. put some water on the fire rather than gas. You mm. have that choice. Contain it too so it doesn't yeah. spread, you know? I think right. that's one thing that's big with my own experience. And again, we're kind of building into what we're going to be talking about next week. But um, my own experience with recent loss is that you have to contain that fire. Like yeah. like you said, like you can put gas on it and make it worse. We're really good at that. Um, putting it out is going to be a long process. It may take years to actually put out that fire of grief. But containing it is really what I found is going to be the one of the most important things so it doesn't like spill into other aspects of your life. Mm. Because there's still things I need to maintain, you know, like with my, my job, my schooling, my relationships with my wife, my relationships with my friends. My grieving process has to be on its own little island that I, I visit and I have full control over, not full control, but like I'm aware that it's there and I, 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 I'm not avoiding it. But for me, that containment of that fire is really important. And then finding ways to like slowly put it out and make sure making, keeping it manageable. So it doesn't turn into a wildfire in my life. Right. Yeah. With, you bring up a good point because <clears throat> when you grieve, when you go through loss, it's, it's a balancing act like mm-hmm. everything right? You need to balance grieving, but you also have a life. You can't just sit there in your room for weeks on end and be sad. And it's, it's great to do for a couple of days. Yeah. You need that at first, I would yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. You totally need that. But you need to come to the point where you realize, okay, I still have a life. If you're married, I have a wife or a husband to be with, to build that relationship, or I have a job. I need to take care of myself. I need to take care of my family. And so it's not about completely getting rid of that island, like Austin is saying, you're getting rid of the fire completely, but it's about containing it and having a balancing act. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of things here is one thing that's always in your control is balancing self-care. And we talk about self-care a lot. Um, I know some of you may hear it too much. Yeah. Oh, self-care, (laughs) self-care, self-care. Like, okay, you get it. But it's really... It's honestly a big deal, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to dealing with loss or dealing with those reality slaps. And so when you at first experience this loss, a lot of your habits are going to go out the door, like going to the gym or eating fairly healthy, you know, are things that you've been trying to work on for yourself. When you experience that loss, that shock, don't expect to be perfect with those habits or those things that you're trying to do mm-hmm. to improve your life. At first, they're going to go out the door, but eventually you're going to want to bring them back in and sure, you may not be able to go as hard or whatever in the gym as you were previously for the first little while, but at least do something. It's like very value driven in this situation to where if you have a value of working out, then maybe you don't have time to go to the gym and work out for an hour, but you can go on a 10 minute walk, Mm -hmm. you know, just do something to care for yourself. And when it comes to self-care, there's nothing too small that is insignificant. Yeah, that wouldn't count. You know, that wouldn't count as self-care. Like if you brush your teeth for the day after like having your dad pass away Mm -hmm. or having someone you love or if you get a divorce, whatever, if you just brush your teeth for that day, like that's a win. I'm going to build off that. Like brushing my teeth, like the day after he passed away was like such a weird thing 
because we were at the hospital super late at night and um it was like a sunday into a monday i was expecting to go to work the next day and so it was like a really weird thing um but like looking back um just getting up and like brushing my teeth and like eating that was like such a win you know yeah. because like as weird as it was those things if i when I, I there was days i didn't do that it made such a dramatic difference in my day i just felt like sadder more more sad and like more introspective in a bad way like i, mm-hmm. I was more more ruminative i was ruminating a lot more yeah. when i took care of myself less and so i want to double that brushing your teeth when you're grieving or going through loss that's like that's a huge win it just we taught we had an episode of that before that like you can't compare the value of things that you do in a day because mm-hmm. they're all the same well in regards to like value-based life getting out of bed is the same as like paying your bills yeah. paying your bills is the same as um helping someone with their flat tire like you can't see things as better than the other because they're all part of like driving your life forward. And so you can't see brushing your teeth as any less than any other self-care item. And one thing that I've learned recently about self-care that I wanted to share a couple episodes ago, but I didn't know it then because I hadn't talked about it with my therapist yet is that um, self-care can really be anything that serves you and takes you to where you want to be with in your life from small to big. And we just talked about how there really is no small to big because they're all taking you to where you want to be brushing your teeth, going to school, doing your homework. It can be so many things. But she also made a really good point that self-care is also getting things out of your life that aren't serving you. And that's something that I'm putting a huge focus on in my life right now. Like I deleted TikTok. I up and deleted it because I was just so done with it. And I, I didn't really see that as self-care, but I told my therapist about it. And she was like, Austin, that's self-care. You got rid of something in your life that wasn't serving you, and therefore you're feeling better because of it. That is yeah. self-care. And I think that can be applied to a grieving process to a certain extent that it's either adding things in that are serving you or looking for ways to take things out that aren't serving you. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing to remember with something like we're dealing with reality slaps. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, um, speaking of that, we can go into, into our next section here is when we experience loss, a lot of our like initial reactions is to withdraw mm-hmm. is to, um, not be around other people either because the people you're around kind of bring up those feelings again. So like if you recently had, I mean, even a divorce, if you had a divorce or if you had a miscarriage or, or things like that, being around people that may have kids or maybe happily married can bring up those emotions again mm-hmm. for you. And it can be hurtful to relive those feelings or realize, or it may be worse for you in that moment because you ruminate and be like, why do they have a happy marriage and mine failed? Or yeah. why do they get to have kids and my wife and I are struggling? You know, things like that. So it can be it can be harmful in that way. So you tend to withdraw, right? To protect yourself. Or you tend to withdraw because you just don't have the emotional capacity to deal with people. Yeah, that's very real. To be around people. Mm-hmm. And that's not a problem. The key here with being around people is again balance. Mm-hmm. Like when when uh, Austin's dad passed away, we my wife and I reached out to them, and at first they're like, "I appreciate it," but right now we just mm-hmm. need to be on our own, you know. And we're like, mm-hmm. "Okay, like that's totally understandable." Yeah, just know that we're here. Yeah, you know. And so Austin wasn't. I'm kind of speaking for you. No, here. no, you're telling but exactly right. Yeah. You guys weren't feeling. Just you were drained. I mean, you were completely drained, especially the day after and the week following. Mm-hmm. Completely drained to not yeah. even really 
talk to people, never, yeah. let alone just text even. Yeah, it was, it was tough. Yeah. yeah. And I, what I found too is that, and this is kind of like the next bullet point that we have here, but like setting boundaries is really important. And I think a person who's going through a reality slap, um, as hard as it is to like work up the courage to set boundaries with people, mm-hmm. it's important to realize how important it's important to realize how important that is, but it, but it really is. Um, that's integral to ma- maintaining healthy connections with people because yeah. you, you can't just isolate. Like I see depression as the main driver. And when, when it comes to isolating during grief is that depression, um, that just is, comes naturally with it. Um, depression doesn't equal grief, but depression and grief are pretty good friends and they stick together. And I see depression as a virus that likes to self perpetuate itself. So it, it maintains in the body. Mm. And when viruses want to, maintain they do things to the body to make it so it lives longer and depression gets worse when you isolate and so the virus is trying to survive i'm i I see depression as a virus in that way yeah when you isolate that it's trying to perpetuate itself so it can stick around and that's just the way that i contextualize depression um so you need to maintain healthy connections i guess is what i was trying to get at and setting boundaries in that time is going to be really important. And I think Russ Harris, there's a portion in the book where he's talking about what that could look like. He talks, it gives a couple examples of like, it could be, I think I can talk on the phone for two minutes, but then I think I'm mm-hmm. going to be drained. Mm-hmm. Or I can maybe send a couple of texts and I don't reply. It's because I'm drained. Yeah. And there's one point where he's like, yeah, you can come over, but I'm probably not going to talk about my loss, but I'd love to see you. And then there's another part where he said that, yeah, I'm going to come to the party, but I'm probably not going to say anything, but I would love to be there. So just yeah. like, don't expect me to be involved with a whole lot, but I would love to be there. Yeah. And that that's a really good example of that you can set your boundaries, you can be there, you can you can stay connected to people, but um you need to know your limits and then set them appropriately with people. And so if people are reaching out to you and like for instance for me with like losing my dad, Zuko's just scratching at the floor and I'm trying not to laugh. He's digging so aggressively. He's going at it so hard. You guys can't hear it, but it's like right in my ear and it's really funny. Um, But when I lost my dad, like people wanted to come see us and like I know you and Annie and we love you guys and like um, there's so many people that wanted to see us and talk to us and it was just like, I can't do it right now. And it was just, um, and setting boundaries was hard because like we didn't want to like hurt people's feelings and like people Mm -hmm. wanted to help. But like, there's a certain point you just don't want to accept that. And then it came to the point, I think we were ready for it. So we set some boundaries, like we can do this for a little while. And my mom's a really good example of this, of like setting boundaries of like, I, I appreciate your help. And if you want to help me out in different ways, I'll tell you how we can help, but I'm, I'm going to say no to this thing. Like, yeah. And I, I just want people to know that it's totally okay. If you're going through reality slap, it's okay to say no to people. It's really, really okay to say no from help. I know that in this area of Utah specifically, um, if you're a member of the predominant religion, um, that church, the church likes to help. And sometimes they're a little bit overzealous with that. And, yeah. um, and it all comes from a really, really, really good place. But I think that the help, <laughs> Zuka, bless you. <laughs> the help can be a little bit too much too fast and it can be yeah. overwhelming for a grieving person. Right. And so just take that as like a, if you're someone who's caretaking, someone who's grieving, just take it easy, you know, be slow show that you're there and your support. Like Annie and Enoch did a really good job with that. Um, and then if you are the person grieving, feel, feel comfortable saying no and setting your boundaries. Right. That's a really important step when it comes to, to loss. Yeah. Like Annie and I, we brought Austin and, their family food yeah we're like we'd love to talk to you guys like we could talk for a couple minutes outside yeah 
like my mom doesn't want to see anyone right now. We're like, okay, cool. Like, no problem. Yeah. You know, and so we talked outside in the freezing cold for a little bit. It was like 20 <laughs> degrees or something. It was yeah. so cold. Yep. And then we left, you know, and that's all. Of course, we'd want to stay there and talk more, you know, and, mm-hmm. and talk about it. But they just didn't have the the space to do that. And that's totally fine. Yeah. You need to realize at the same time that we're social beings. Mm-hmm. And it's a balancing act again. Remember, where if you're secluded for too long, that's when it starts to become hurtful and unhelpful for you. But taking a week, a couple weeks, to just be by yourself, be with your immediate family, and then slowly start to branch out and bring people back in, mm-hmm. that's totally normal. Yeah. And that's going to be helpful for you. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the reintroducing of, of, of social interaction back into your life is a really key step. Um, I think that, and, it, and it, we kind of read this earlier, but... Um, I think this is a direct quote from the book, but it says, you will say things like, I can get through this on my own. I don't need anyone's help. This is my problem. I, like, when yeah. I listened to the book and when I read that just now, like I felt like I was listening to my own thoughts yeah. over and over again because that's how I felt the whole time. And I still felt that way sometimes, but um, that couldn't be more opposite from the truth. When it comes to loss specifically, long-term, the antidote is more connection with people Yeah, because the symptoms... And the cause of the pain, the cause for the need of the pre- process of grief is a disconnection with the person that you lost. That's what grief is, is you're processing this emotion of disconnection. And so the antidote, antidote, the antidote <laughs> long-term to overcome this in a healthy way is to appropriately introduce social and con- social interaction and connection back into your life. Otherwise, you're kind of missing the point of grieving, at least in my own opinion of what I've experienced in my grief is that the long-term fix is you reconnecting with those around you and the world around you. Yeah, and if you look on a chemical level, what's the chemical for connection? It's oxytocin. Oxytocin. And oxytocin has so many benefits for your body physically. Mm-hmm. It increases your blood flow and all the awesome good stuff that we need. We talked about stuff, that a little yeah. bit in our last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Zuko, you got to stop, dude. Hey, no more. Lay down. Thank you. <laughs> okay. But oxytocin is good, and you get that from bonding with other people. Mm-hmm. You can get that, obviously, from bonding with your immediate family, but the more people, the better. Yeah, and, and match your, your level of com- like com- com- comfortability. If you were a person that like was an intimate group person, like six six people in a group mm-hmm. before the death or the loss of your loved one, you're going to be the same way afterwards, you know? Right. And yeah. so um, it's not like you just need to go out and like party with people and like <laughs> like 20 people over at your house at one time. Um, just try to go back to pre-crisis levels. That's something when it comes to family stress models, the whole point when it comes to stress and stressors is to make your way back to that pre-crisis level of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Of like overall well-being. You just want to get back to that. And so you're going to want to do the same things that you did beforehand, but just slowly mm-hmm. just reintroduce it back into your life. And it'll be a slow, gradual incline back. But if, if, if you're doing it right, you might even, your well-being could go up beyond, above that pre-crisis level. That's kind of some of the, like the models you learn about in family stress, like theories, is that the most appropriate and the most um, effective coping skills, which would be connection like this, tend to help a family or an individual go beyond their resilience levels pre-crisis. And that's the whole theory behind family stress models. But um, that's only going to happen if you if you can learn how to connect with people efficiently after that loss. Right. 
And you're going to have a lot of people in your life that are going to help you try and see the silver linings of things, right? Like, oh, at least this didn't happen, or at least you <laughs> still have, like, at least you still have your mom, <laughs> you know? And these people mean well. They do. Yeah. They're, they're trying to help. It's just our society, unfortunately, has taught us really unhelpful ways mm-hmm. to help people cope with stress yeah. and help people cope with loss. Trying to help people see the silver lining is not very helpful. And if that's something that you do, you're not a bad person. No. You're great. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not your fault either that that's your go-to because you were taught that by either your family and they were taught that by society. And it's just, it's a societal thing that we tend to do is just help people see the silver lining. Yeah. And it's just not not helpful. And I, I think a little bit, I've thought about this a lot because that's happened a ton over the past yeah. few few months with me and... Again, no ill intent with anyone that did it. It's just that that's just the natural, that's like the the factory setting for, for humans, I think, is just to do yeah. that. And um, I think a lot of it has to do with making you feel better, like kind of ridding right. yourself of guilt, like, oh, I helped them, you know. And again, that doesn't make you a bad person. Just That's just the default setting. And um, I think going beyond that and working and not doing that is a really hard thing to do because you're working against that natural default setting. So if you can do that and you've learned how to do that, shout out to you because that's a really hard thing to not default to silver lining a person's life. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to understand that it comes from a place of more than likely wanting to make yourself feel better. So you can kind of rid yourself of guilt of, oh, I helped that person. And so um, you start thinking more about that person and what they need and trying to make a difference in their life. I think naturally you'll just kind of avoid that silver line because you'll, you'll see what they really need. They don't need you to tell them how things could be better or how right. they could be worse. They need a meal, you know. They, maybe they need a little money to help with rent. They just need someone to listen to them or give them a hug. But that takes a little bit more work than just giving a silver lining. But I have a lot of thoughts about that. But um, it's just know that those people aren't, they don't have real intentions. We've all done it. We all do it. It's, uh, they're trying to give kind words right? and doing the best they can. So I guess it's a little bit of patience there goes a long way on your part. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if that's, if that's you, if you're more of a silver lining person, that's your go-to something you can start saying or just start is if you say, you think to yourself, I don't even know what to say then. Yeah. That's a really good one. Then say that, say, look, Austin, I have no idea what to say right now, dude. Like just know I'm here for you. If you need anything, let me know. Man, those were, those were the best interactions right after my dad right. died. It was like the people that texted me that were like, because as much as I appreciate the people that would text me, like, I, like I understand or like, I know I must, I know how hard this must be for you. But it was the people that were like, I don't even know what to say to you right now. I just, I just want you to know that I'm here. Or like I've opened up to a couple of people at a couple of things. And they would just say like, I don't even know what to say right now. I just appreciate you telling me that. Right. And I think that's like one of the best ways to go about doing that because I don't, care what you have to say in, in, in a certain, certain, sure. certain circumstances. Yeah. I just yeah. want to know that you're there for me because that's the whole connection thing that we've been talking about for the past 20 minutes. But um, not like, because in a way that uh, silver lining stuff, um, the I understand thing, it's a little bit invalidating of my experience and like, right. or just of a person's experience in general. And it, we just do it on accident. We invalidate people all the time just by saying, oh, I know what you feel, I know what it's like, well, because of this thing that I went through. 
and that's all good and well because we're just trying to be empathetic and connect with that person based off of our experience. But I think that more often than not can be a little bit unhelpful. And we right. all we all do it just because it's so easy to and so natural to. Yeah. But stepping outside of that and being kind of doing what you just did, but like I don't even know what to say. I have nothing to say. Um, but I'm here for you. Maybe in throwing like, what can I do to help you or um, can I do this to help you? Like giving them yeah. a suggestion that was yeah. really helpful as well with my dad. But, um, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And so just start practicing that. If you don't have anything to say, tell them that. And that can go a long way. Yeah. It'll, you'll connect a lot easier. Yeah. Okay. And so I think it's interesting that we, we tend to withdraw as human beings when things happen. But at the same time, we yearn for connection. Mm-hmm. You know, we yearn for people to reach out to us and say things, like say nice things to us, you know? So counterfactual, yeah. Like, right, like it feels good when someone says, hey man, I'm here for you. You know, when our body's like, ah, get away from me. It's so weird. You know, it's <laughs> really so dichotomous. weird. And so that's something that we want, but yet we don't realize that our brain tends to do the exact opposite in speaking to us. We want to hear kind words. We want to hear people say, I'm here for you, or I love you, or let me know if there's anything I can do. Whereas your brain says... I'm such an idiot. Hmm. Like, why am I feeling bad? Buck up. <laughs> why are you feeling, why are you crying? What's wrong with you, bro? You're 24 years old. Why are you crying? You're a grown man, you know, or, or things like that. And so if that's something that you deal with is that inner critic brain that's really mean to you, like all of us, all of us have it from mm-hmm. time to time, but others, it can be really worse. It can be worse um, during times of loss or really stressful, traumatic situations. It can be worse than others. And so kind words can go a long way, not for only from others, but from yourself mm-hmm. is realizing and that you're not perfect. You're, this experience just happened to you, this really traumatic experience. And so give yourself some grace. If your brain says, why are you crying? Why are you feeling this way? You shouldn't be sad right now. Look at all these good things you have instead. You say, hey, acceptance and commitment therapy, your brain. Right, you can say, "Hey, I appreciate you. I see you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry right now. I see you trying to help me out, but it's not helpful. So I'm just gonna put you in my pocket and put you to the side. Feel free to join me if you want. (laughs) But I'm gonna do my thing, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel what I'm feeling, and I'll come back to you later. Yeah, and that's a really hard thing to do. It's so unnatural. It's like, um, I think that's why acceptance and commitment therapy is so effective. Is because it is so opposite from the default setting because the default setting is usually the source of the problem mm-hmm. when it comes to our human brains. Uh, and it's just learning how to navigate that properly. And so it is so unnatural for us to do something like that. But the more you can get into a good habit of being able to kind of like picture in picture, like if you're watching like a, let's say if you're on your phone and you're watching a YouTube video, how you can like scr- like swipe up and it moves the the video to the like bottom mm-hmm. right corner of your screen. So you're still yeah. doing something else while the video is going on. To be able to do that to like your thoughts and have them be in the bottom right corner, still playing, you can still hear it, you can still see it, but while still doing your other thing, that's a really hard thing to do. To be able to move that movie to the side of the screen, pay attention to something else, takes a little bit of like focus skills almost yeah. to be able to do that. Like so if you're ADHD like oriented, it might be a little bit harder for you to do something like that and shift your attention that easy. Um, but yeah, that's gonna be a huge step. Being able to be like, yeah, I, brain, I understand you think I'm a wimp. I understand you think I should not be going through this, but I am. I'm going to cry. 
probably for five to 10 minutes, I'm going to listen to songs that remind me of this person for the next 30 minutes. And it's going to be really hard for me, even though you don't think I should, but this is what I need right now. And then be able to like return back to that and maybe negotiate a little bit with yourself. So unnatural, but that's a huge, a really important skill. If you can, if you can develop that, um, then you're going to, you're going to be in a good place. So if you need help doing that, see a therapist, one who, I don't know, one who specializes in acceptance and commitment therapy because they'll help you develop those muscles, like those acceptance and commitment therapy muscles to where you'll feel comfortable doing that. But also just knowing how to do it because it takes more than just telling your brain to know what to do. You know, like right. it, there are some skills, some really great exercises, some, uh, some uh, like mindfulness grounding exercises that help you be able to do that. So I guess we're shifting more into acceptance and commitment therapy now, but um, I found those skills that I've learned from ACT to be very beneficial as I've gone through loss. Yeah. And so I think other people could as well. And that's why Russ Harris is writing a whole book about it and why right. he did write a very successful book about it. Yeah. I mean, it just takes practice like all things. And so there, there's a really easy mindfulness practice you can do. We did, I'm sure there's an episode on it. But one is you can easily just go look at the clouds. Hmm. Go outside, look at the clouds. Picture your thoughts as the clouds. Your sky is your mind. All these thoughts are always coming and going. But you can continue to walk around outside. Mm-hmm. And you can you can see the the clouds as you're driving, as you're walking, as you're playing games. The clouds are there, and so you can acknowledge them, see that they're there, and then keep keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, so that's a fun little, little exercise. Is just go outside, look up in the sky, lay down on the ground, whatever. Maybe not in the winter. Weather's not great right now. <laughs> At least in Utah, it's terrible. But, yeah, if you're in like North Carolina, it's apparently 80 degrees there. But um, yeah, it's terrible in Utah. Yeah, serious. <laughs> Or like just sit down on the ground, close your eyes, and you can picture your thoughts as clouds and just watch them go. Don't try and stop them. Don't give them 30 seconds of your attention. Just watch them go by. Yeah. Another good one with that one like that I've learned in other books is uh, like cars. Like if you live near a busy road or even just a road that's not so busy, just kind of watching the cars go by. And then maybe give each car a different thought of yours that you had. Like this car is the I'm not good enough car. Mm -hmm. And just watch it come and watch it go. As it drives away, and then in the future, when you're actually not watching the cars, you can um, you can sit down and think, okay, I'm just going to picture some cars in my brain. Here goes the I'm fat card. It's coming down the street. It's going right in front of me, and it's driving away. You can do that little like I literally just closed my eyes and I did that. <laughs> um, but that can be a really good exercise as well, just to kind of contextualize how thoughts can come and go on their own. And that's the whole basis of of act. But um, the same thing can go with your grief and the thoughts you have about your loss is. It could be, what am I going to do without this person, you know? Right. And how am I going to live without them? Those could be the clouds that are just kind of floating away. Like, they're there. They're real. You can see them. If you were close enough, you could touch them and be in the cloud with that. Um, but they're they're also just going to eventually float away. It's just a matter of time. So being able to to sit with those thoughts just for a little bit and realize just how real they are, let them come and go and their own good time while still doing the things that you love and care about. Um, that's, that's going to be the best way to, to heal in regards to like act. Yeah. Um, I'm sure other people have more to say about this if they could subscribe to different ideals, but I found that to be really beneficial for yeah. me to be able to live like that. And it's going to be harder for you too. If you don't practice any mindfulness and then all of a sudden in the middle of your grief, you're like, okay, I'm going to practice mindfulness. It's going to be 10 times harder for you because your mm-hmm. emotions are 10 times higher. Yeah, you're not going to be able to ground yourself very easily. <laughs> right. And so start practicing now, maybe one minute a day. 
Mm-hmm. Start practicing with these little emotions, like yeah. um, slow driver in front of you. Yeah. You know? Hunger. Hunger. Yeah. yeah. Like that's Things a good like one that. to practice with because like everyone experiences it. Yeah. Like right. I'm hungry, but I'm still going to do this thing. Right. And so just practice with those and it's going to make it not, you know, a billion times easier when you're going through grief, but it'll make that process more automatic for you. Familiar. More familiar and it'll be easier to process those. Yeah. And just, there's just a couple other quotes that I personally just wanted to read this, that, that I found helpful in, in regards to loss. Um, it's from a book called Dealing with Grief, Understanding and Healing After Loss of Someone You Love. And this is by James Walker. can't remember his credentials or if he even has any, but it's an amazing <laughs> book. Um, really, really good book that I started reading a couple of weeks after my dad had passed. Um, first one that really stuck out to me was um, staying mired in your grief means that you stop growing as a person which your loved one would not want, would have not have wanted for you to do. And um, I found that to be true just because I was really close with my dad, that if he knew how much I was focusing on his loss, that he would be kind of frustrated with me because there have been aspects where I've, I've stopped growing and I've stopped, you know, doing the things that like, I, I used to love doing. And um, I don't know, It's there's been a lot of things that I've noticed that my growth has stopped because of it. And uh, if you're close with the person that you lost, uh, man, using the grief as not an excuse, but as a reason that you're, that you're going to stop growing, man, that's a, that's an unfortunate thing they would not want for you. And then we kind of talked about this earlier, but like the counterfactual thinking, I found that to be really, really, um, counter, uh, man, counterproductive to what you're trying to do when you're processing grief. And this really great quote from, I think chapter two of the book says the if onlys are usually, usually accompanied by guilt that you didn't insist on a doctor's visit or you had been in the car and told them to stop. You're trying to think what you could have done differently to prevent it and might, and that you might have been at fault. All of this is an attempt to avoid the pain of the loss. It helps us feel like we're in control and that there was a reason that the death happened. In this stage, the brain is focused on the past. And this is with the denial aspect of, of the DABDA. But I found that to be really true that the more you focus on what you can't control, we talked about this earlier and I forgot to bring this quote up earlier, um, the more you'll find yourself struggling thinking about the what ifs, like for me, like a big one was like, what if I had stayed at the hospital like 10 minutes longer, I would have been there the rest of the day. And I would have been there when the doctor told him he wasn't going to make it through the night, like that whole thing. And, um, I guess we'll talk more about that next week, but, um, every time I think about that, things get worse. Mm-hmm. So biggest takeaways from this episode that like me, someone who recently went through loss and is going through loss, but like, I'm um, just what I would recommend to anyone who who's struggling with loss is to really focus on things that you could, you can control. That's really going to be a big one and focus on connection. Like if you take away anything this episode and you're still listening, make sure those two things are your focus that you maintain healthy connections with good boundaries and never let yourself dive too deep into things that you can't control. And that's going to be one of the best ways for you to navigate any type of loss. Honestly, it's it's really most applicable to death of a loved one, but I think you'll find that to be pretty applicable to other things as well. Yeah. And just remember, be kind to yourself, have mm-hmm. grace for yourself when you go through loss. Your habits, your regular routine will go out the window. You're not going to feel like yourself for a while. And that's normal and natural. Remember, it's all a balancing act. We need to go through the grieving process and also realize we have things, we have our life to continue to live. And so then start slowly getting back into things and balancing 
things like little bits of self-care in your life. Start saying more kind words to yourself and be around people that really care for you and want to be with you. And grief and loss in general is still hard. (laughs) It's not easy. Even if you do all of those perfectly, we talked about today, it's still going to hurt. It's still going to, it's still going to suck. But when you are able to balance it, it's a lot, not even a lot easier. It's easier. It's more manageable. More manageable. It just makes it less stressful. Yeah. And it helps you become the person that you wanted to become through, through that loss. It can be a a really big catalyst Mm -hmm. for you in your life to push you to do things and become someone that you may not have become otherwise. Yeah. It's, and that's something me and Edie talked about the other night and we were just playing games. Um, but loss like this presents opportunities that you would never otherwise have. It's, it's like a, I don't know. It's like the, the little gooey center at the very, very deep center of a very hard rock that you have to just get through. And eventually you get to it and you're like, wow, this is actually a really special thing that I only was able to experience because I not effectively, but appropriately managed this feeling and this experience. And some people don't get to that gooey center and they just go through their whole lives wondering why them, why me? Yeah. Why, why am I so unlucky? And I don't want any of our listeners or anyone that ever comes across this podcast ever feel that way. And the only way to not feel that way is to, I mean, obviously to focus on the things we've talked about in this episode, but look for opportunities to grow from it as well, because otherwise it's just going to be that thing that happened to your life that you always regret And it was the reason why your life is so bad. You kind of victimize yourself in a way. And that's really easy to do through grief. And it's so appropriate in a way, like, because you really are a victim. You really are. It's natural. I feel like such a victim when I was sitting in the bathroom of the ICU, like crying as my dad was dying in the other room. Like, I feel like such a victim. And I heard Jordan Peterson in the back of my head, like, don't be a, don't be a victim. You're not a victim. You're being a victim. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, Jordan. Um, But like if you feel like a victim, you're not wrong and you're so not bad. Just know that that's not, that's going to be, it's going to take you down a really bad path yeah. of, of, of victimhood is going to really going to take it out of you when you're going through your grief. So please don't be a victim. If you're going through your grief, just do everything you can to avoid that, that thought process. Cause it's, it's really going to be so counterproductive for you and focus on ways that you can just connect with the world. That's really going to be helpful for you. Yeah. Because why, you are worth, worth it. it. Yeah, so absolutely. Try and say it at the same time. Wait, okay, awesome. do it again. <clears throat> because you, you are, are worth, worth it. it. <laughs> we'll cut that part out. Yeah, you really are. So if you made it this far, thanks so much for listening. And stay tuned for next week for Austin's episode. Woo! What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? Yeah. What about, what about therapy? What about therapy? What about, what about therapy? Yeah. What about, what about therapy? 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 Yeah.